0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you are a guest with us this morning, we're working our way through the book of 1 Timothy piece by piece. And we've come to chapter 5 verse 3. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 3. It's on page 1412 if you're using one of the Bibles that we have in the back of the seat in front of you. I'm going to read that, that uh, whole passage. It's really... Two paragraphs. I'll read it for us. It says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they learn they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it it may assist those who are widows indeed. Well, this is a... Very interesting passage, and uh, it's probably one of those passages that if you don't have a practice, as we do here in this church, of preaching all the way through books of the Bible, the preacher would probably never pick this one for a sermon. Uh, so here we are, and we're gonna look at this and see what it has for us. <clears throat> you notice that it's about widows. And it's about the church, and it's about the family of widows, all three sets of people. And so I want to look at the responsibility that that God has in this passage for the church in regard to widows, uh, for the families in regard to each other, uh, blood families. And then uh, for the individual widow herself, but you may be surprised in, as we get there to see how uh, there's a lesson for all of us in in the responsibility for the widow herself. We'll find there a challenge to each of our own lives. So let's look first at the responsibility of the church. You You see there in verse 3, it says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Honor widows. It says that uh, we are to honor women who have um, lost their husbands. Uh, some people ask the question, and we'll, we'll see it comes up later, the idea of assisting them or helping widows. But some ask the question right up front, well, is honoring them, does that mean uh, helping them financially? And I think that actually, like I went back into the Greek to study that word honor. And uh, you know what's coming. And I found out that that word means honor. Uh, that we honor her. In other words, we, we esteem her. We consider her to be important and valuable. Um, and that means that if if that's our attitude towards her... Then if she has a need, what are we going to do? We're going to try to help her, right? If she doesn't have a need, we're still relating to her in a way that expresses to her that she's important to us. So the word honor includes the idea of helping her in practical ways if that's needed. But it's bigger than that. It's it's a lot bigger than that. Uh, we need to care for them. Be interested in them. Get to know them. Consider them important. You know, not all cultures uh, do this with their widows. There's a book that's out, and I've had it recommended to me. It's just an interesting read. And, I, and the person that recommended it to me kind of told me this story. Now, I don't want to misrepresent the book because I haven't actually read it. Um, but it's the name of the book is Two Old Women. I don't know if you've heard of it. But it's a it's a um, Athabascan Indian legend story. And the Athabascans is a Native American group in Alaska. And the legend, the story is that these two old widows were kicked out of the tribe, just left to die out in the cold. And the village went its own way. But the way this story goes is that the two old women managed to survive together and learned all kinds of things as they did so began to thrive and it was in a particularly hard winter and later the village leaders came back because they were starving and the two ladies kept the rest of the village alive. It's an interesting story. But in that it it shows the uh, what we might find as um, offensive or surprising thing that some culture would actually just put their old women out. Just put them out and leave them to die in the cold. Well, it's always fun to make, to point our fingers at other cultures. It's always easy to do that, isn't it? Well, what about our own? Do we always value our elderly? And do we value um, our old women who have been widowed, who, who have no husband And they've gone through the grief and, and all, I I won't even take the time today. Maybe I should have, but what it does to a woman as she suffers through losing her spouse and then, and then having to face life now on her own and often in older years, the difficulty that that presents. Does our culture do it right? The scripture is teaching us that we must honor the widows in our midst. And then, if you look at the, that was the very first verse in this section, verse three. The very last verse. See, uh, Paul puts these two together. Look at verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them. And the church must, so now it uses the word assist. And the church must not be burdened, <clears throat> excuse me, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. There were some widows who still had family. And as we'll see in a moment, Paul was saying to them that the families got the first responsibility to take care of the, that widow. But there are some widows he called widows indeed who were just, Bereft of all family, there was no help whatsoever. And if they're part of the church, the church is to assist them and to help them. So not only do we honor our widows, we assist them, especially those who are in dire straits who have no family to assist them. We uh, It mentions too in here a list, and we actually at this church do have a list of widows and um, at this moment, to our knowledge, there are no widows who don't have family to help them. But we try to keep an eye on them. And there are couples in our church who have a particular burden for widowed women. And they it's a kind of an informal way. It's not highly organized, which is fine. But try to take care and make sure that our widows are um, are okay. You know, sometimes people will ask a question in the light of a passage like this. They'll say, Pastor, um, does the church take care of widows in the congregation? And my question is, well, do you? <laughs> Who's the church? We, we have a, a, subtle, a subtle little temptation in a church of our size, which doesn't happen in smaller churches is that we tend to look at ourselves as an organization. So if there's a problem, we think there's an organizational answer. And we forget that, as we said last week, we are a family. Amen? So you don't, you don't always have to wait for an organizational program. If you know a widow, honor her. Amen? Get to know her. Help her. And if there's some big problem that's, wow, bigger than you, then let the leaders of the church know, and maybe we can kick in uh, and, and, and act in some kind of organizational way. But we're a family. We're a family. And there are people in our church that look out for widows, but this passage says they, they feel a burden on their heart to do that. But this passage is saying to all of us, are, you, are we letting widows go unattended or unappreciated, or do they feel honored by us? Now, you might back up for a moment and ask the question, why is this passage included in first Timothy? This is interesting to me because you remember the book of first Timothy. It's, it's, The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy who's over the church in Ephesus and he's giving all kinds of instruction in light of the fact that there were false teachers there teaching a certain false doctrine, but he's teaching... Timothy, uh, to keep the truth out there, but he's also giving him instruction on how we're supposed to live as a body of believers. And he's talked about um, differences between men and women. He's talked about uh, elders. He's talked about deacons, and we are, we're not surprised by any of that. He talks about... Um, People leaving the faith and the importance of keeping the truth foremost in everyone's mind. We're not surprised about that. He talks about Timothy himself as the leader and some issues about his life, the way his life is supposed to be and what he's supposed to be giving his energy to. And we're not surprised about that. And then he mentions widows. And we're surprised by that. That here, here, Paul's sitting there writing a letter to tell the pastor, so to speak, how the church should be. And he mentions widows. Would you have put that in your letter to someone about what the church is supposed to be? He mentions widows. And I think that the reason this is there or or one um revelation to us that comes from this inclusion of widows in this in this text is that we're seeing God's heart and we're challenged to measure our heart against God's are the things that are important to God important to me in James chapter one verse 27 I'm going to read that to you Uh, some of you know the verse but I'm going to read it to you it says Pure and undefiled religion. Hey, I want that, right? We're all Christians here, right? We we say we're Christians. We wanna we wanna have a pure religion. We wanna have a pure and an undefiled religion. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Okay, now I'm gonna pay attention. He's gonna tell me what it is. I bet you he's gonna tell me about having my quiet time, right? got to have your quiet time every day. I bet you he's going to tell me about making sure I'm in church every day. I bet, you know, I, I have a list in my mind that automatically comes up. This is pure religion. It's this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. How do you like that? And then he goes on, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We're supposed to somehow live in this sin, sin, Drenched world without getting stained by it. But the thing then that he talks about opposite that is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. This is on God's heart. And it goes all the way through the scriptures in Psalm 68 verse five. It says it calls God. It says a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. It's amazing. There's God lifted up, as we've sung this morning, in his holy habitation. And he is the father to the fatherless. He takes care of orphans. He has an eye for the orphan. And he, he judges for the widows. He's on their side. It's like I said all through the scripture. But I want to read to you a, little, a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. And again, this um, reflects this great and, and perhaps surprising what we see as a contrast between the exalted nature of God and then his concern for the lowly. Listen to verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe wow and then here it comes what does he do he executes justice for the orphan and the widow that's the heart of god and it challenges me to to think about my own heart and how do i look at widows and how do i look at all people who are perhaps low or hurting or in distress? Do I look at them the way God looks at them? And so we're left with a couple questions here. Do we honor the widows in our midst? It's a question we have to ask ourselves as a church, but I want to remind us that each of us, we are the church together. So the question I want to ask is, are you honoring the widows in our midst? Apparently, This is an important question for for God. This answer is actually important. And then in, in a broader sense, are you allowing God to move your heart with what is on his heart? Often I wonder if what we're so concerned about is not necessarily so high on God's Ranking of importance. That's our responsibility as a church. To honor and to assist the wid- widows who are in need. Now, secondly, let's think about the responsibility of the widow's family. Uh, back in First Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they... they so their blood, fa- her blood family must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And then if you jump down again to verse 16, the beginning of it, after this long discussion, he says, but if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, in other words, if, if, the, if she has a widow in her family, he says she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. So that way the, the church can take care of the widows who have no one. The families within the church have to take care of the widows that are in their families. <clears throat> I remember one time when we were missionaries in uh, East Africa, this wonderful old lady, I've actually told you about her before, and uh, <clears throat> I've mentioned her before. Her name was Bibi Marta. Bibi means grandmother in Swahili, and everyone called her Bibi. She was so old. She, she remembered as a girl... When the Germans uh, were in charge of Germany, East Africa, Germany, East Africa changed hands at the end of World War One. So she remembered as a little girl holding the hand of a German soldier. So she must she was really old and uh, she came to Christ. A beautiful. One Easter. She came to, to faith in Christ and lived for years more with us. Um. But she was, in some ways, destitute. She 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 had nothing. As she's getting older and older, it's harder and harder for her to, to uh, take care of herself. And her family was not taking care of her. So, I just remember the day when I I took my Bible, Swahili Bible, and I was, I found one of her children. Now her children are like, they're, you know in their 40s 50s or whatever and I I walked through these dirt trails and through the woods and I found their little mud hut that they were living in and I sat down and I opened after we talked I opened the Bible to 1st Timothy chapter 5 and these are not believers they're not christians but you know what god's truth is true whether the other person recognizes it or not or thinks the bible's true or not it didn't matter this was true and i shared with them the word of god and said that she's your responsibility why aren't you taking care of her and we will help but but she's yours shame on you for t- not taking care of your mother this is true amen and they they began they began to change and we praise God for that. You see look at verse 8 this is amazing. After he talks about this he says but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You're a Christian and you have needy parents and you don't take care of them and you don't help the people in your own family especially a, your widowed mom, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, how are they worse than the unbeliever? Well, most unbelievers have never heard John thirteen thirty four, where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that also you, sh- you also should love one another. Unbelievers haven't heard that. They haven't heard Jesus teach that. But believers have. Believers know the importance of it. And most unbelievers are strangers to Christ's example of love. And the way he loved people. And the way on the cross he looked down at John and said... And and there was Jesus' earthly mother next to him, Mary. And John said, behold, your mother on the cross as he was dying he was caring for his earthly mother making sure she was taken care of giving the responsibility of her to john most unbelievers they don't know christ's example like that but believers do and unbelievers know nothing about the receiving and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God within us to actually enable us to live the way we ought. Unbelievers don't even know anything about that. But believers do. Believers have that. And yet, some unbelievers, many unbelievers actually feel a responsibility for their aging parents and do what they can to take care of them. Not all unbelievers do that, but many do. And Paul says, and yet you're not going to take care of your aging, widowed mother? Shame on you. You're worse than an unbeliever. When I, when I see this passage, I, I'm struck myself to think about my own life. I think we each need to take a look at our own heart and how we're relating to our own parents and make sure that we're doing for them what we can to, as it says in verse eight, to make a return to their parents. You see that? They gave a lot to us. Um, let's give back to them. That's the responsibility of the widow's family is to care for that, for that woman. Now, lastly, and I'll give some time to this, but I want us to look at the responsibility of the widow herself. This is uh, coming out of much of the other. Parts of this passage, verses five to six and verses nine to fifteen now when you, when I read it to you, probably some things in there sounded a little strange to your ears. Um, I was scratching my head for a long time this, uh, as I was studying this passage, and i I finally reached over and I grabbed Patrick Fairbairn. Off, off the shelf. He was a pastor, American pastor back in the 1800s. I grabbed him off the shelf. I said, I wonder what Patrick has to tell me. Can he help me out here? And I found this great sentence. Now we don't talk the way they talked back then, but listen, you gotta, I gotta love this. I loved it. He said, very few parts of this epistle. That means very few parts of first Timothy have given rise to greater diversity of opinion than the instruction contained in these verses. And from the scantiness of our information respecting the domestic economy of the churches in the earliest times, it may be difficult to present a view of the passage which shall appear free from all appearance of strangeness or uncertainty. Ha! I laughed. I like that. I said, thank you, Patrick. I'm not the only one that has a few questions about this, about this passage. I want to just say one thing as a tangent <clears throat> because it's probably in some people's minds. Verse 14. It says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. I believe that what that verse is saying in a broad sense is it's just saying to the women, be a woman, be a Christian woman live for Christ in all the fullness of womanhood it's not it's not saying that a woman can't work outside of the home and, and you know when it says there keep house i don't know that it's just saying sweep the floor uh, that might be involved in it what it's saying is as a woman who's now a christian woman you bring to your home what only a woman can bring amen it's not, it's not, and we've talked for a long time about the issue of biblical manhood and womanhood. We already touched on that when we hit uh, chapter 2. I'm not going to rehearse all of that. Um, but that's, I think, what it's saying here. A man can't add to a home what a woman can. It doesn't matter what the experts say. It's different. A woman can do this. So live out your womanhood in Christ. I think that's, that's what verse 14 is saying. But now, to get back to this, the issue, what's going on in this passage? Some people think that the apostle Paul is mentioning two different groups. There's, there's the widows, and then there's another group within the widows. Um, I'm not convinced of that. I most likely, I think that most likely it's not two groups. But how do we understand this passage? I think it's this that some women in their widowhood will display the true nature of their heart, and the true nature of their heart is unbelief. Some women, they've been married, they've been a part of the church with their husband. Their husband dies, and that springs the woman into a direction of her life that's contrary to her profession of faith. And she begins to live out that which has always been in her heart, but in her married state kept bottled up. And she's displaying that she's really an unbeliever. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now, she who is a widow indeed... And who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to want and pleasure—now this other one—that you know there are some widows that keep on walking with God. But There's others; <clears throat> they just give themselves over to to pleasure. And he says, "The one who's like that is dead, even while she lives." How how ironic! He's saying that that she's living there and she's a widow. That means her husband died. He's dead. She's alive. And Paul's saying, but no, she's dead even while she lives. For she's just living for pleasure, no longer living for Christ or what looked like she was living for Christ. She's proving by her actions that she's not a real Christian. This harkens back to chapter 4, verse 16. You remember a couple Sundays ago, we looked at that passage where Paul is telling Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Remember that? Remember what we talked about then? People, I want you to listen to this. And what I'm going to say may may sound shocking to some of you, but I want you to hear it carefully so you don't, I'm going to try my hardest not to miscommunicate. People are not saved by their profession of faith. Do you know what I mean? When they profess, I believe in Jesus, people are not saved by their profession of faith. They are saved by God. And when God saves, he changes. When God, people profess faith who are truly saved, but it's God who is saving them. And when he saves, he changes. And who God saves and changes, they persist to the, in their faith until the end of their life. Look at, I'm going to keep explaining here, but as you get to verse 9, it's talking about the the one widow who's expressing her Christianity. The, her, her profession of faith through her lips is expressed as being true by the way she lives. But then it gets down in verse 11. and there, But there's others who aren't living according to any any profession of faith that they may have had. And then you get to verse 12, and it says, Thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. That little phrase, previous pledge, can actually be translated first faith. So they've set aside their first faith, their profession of faith in Christ, and they're living differently. They're living differently. And verse 13 shows that now, if you let your eye fall on verse 13, now they're living that way with idleness and gossip and all of this kind of stuff. Verse 15 says they've turned aside and followed Satan. You see, the responsibility of the widow is what we're talking about here, is she must be careful to continue to live out her profession of faith. And this raises up to all of us the issue that we talked about back in the last verse of chapter 4. I don't know. There's a verse that the old, in another generation, preachers used to refer to it a lot. And in this generation, in America anyway, we've lost it. It's 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. A great evil in American evangelicalism is this. That we have twisted around our thinking and our focus. And we've put our focus. Listen to me carefully. We've put our focus On a person's first verbal profession and expression of faith in Christ. And we've made that first verbal expression of faith to be the test of whether or not he or she is a Christian. You understand what I mean? That is not biblical. Everyone must profess faith, but we don't look at our first profession of faith as the test of whether or not a person is really a Christian. The test is a life changed by grace. The grace of God has changed the person. That's what says they're really a Christian, not what they say or the first time they said they believed. This is extremely important. You see, there are many people who profess to be believers, but aren't really believers. Do you understand that? Look with me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 verse 15. It's on page 1148. Matthew 7. Verse 15. Let me just read this passage to you. It hardly needs comment. This is Jesus' teaching. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them not by what they say, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. Nor figs from thistles are they? so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. I, th- I believe that that's what's happening in First Timothy five. he's showing that some of these widows were bad trees and some were good trees. You could tell the difference by their fruit 17. Again, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven... Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are people who who have professed over here sometime in their past. They've professed that they believe in Jesus, but their lives prove otherwise. That's the teaching of Scripture. And so our our test of whether a person is really a believer can't be what they said someday when they raised their hand in a meeting or said something. It's It's what's been proven out in their life after that. It's not only Jesus, and it's not only the Apostle Paul that said this. Listen to a few verses from 1 John. This is the Apostle John. I'll just read them to you. Listen, how he contrasts what we say and what we do. 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Chapter four, verse 20. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Here's here's the trick. We are to demonstrate change throughout our lives and that's the evidence that we're actually united with Christ, not just our profession of faith. So this is the problem that happens then. So then... Many people make up a list of what we think that change means, how it's going to look. And then we try real hard to make our life match the list. You know what that's called? Legalism. And I don't want anything to do with it because that's 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 Satan taking this truth that we're talking about and working it in a different way into our lives. Here is the truth. Your focus and my focus must be on Jesus Christ. Amen. We look at him. We rehearse in our heads what he did for us on the cross. That there the sinless son of God took the punishment in my place and wiped out my guilt. And I come and I just trust him that he and what he did on the cross takes away my guilt. Amen. And I'm right with God. And then my focus remains on Him. That I'm submitted to Him then. And I'm just walking with Him and following Him. And then, in moments of reflection, here and there in your life, some of us are more introspective than others. But every once in a while, we reflect on our life and we say, God has changed my life. Amen? And and we, and we we gain assurance... I, I, God has changed my life, and I'm, I'm saved. We don't look back and say, I'm, I said something back in 1973, and so I'm saved. We, we look at Christ, amen? You saved me, Lord Jesus. That's the focus. But this truth has a sober warning, and I want every person in this room to hear the warning. Do you knowingly do what is wrong? What you understand the Bible to teach as being wrong and you have no intention to change? Are you grieved whenever you fail to obey God? Do you willingly sacrifice your own desires and comforts and priorities In order to help others. In other words. Do you truly love others? If you answer these questions. No. You very well. May not be a Christian. You are not saved. You are going to hell. This is precisely. How important. This teaching is. And you notice that the questions are not. Did you someday in the past say I believed? That's not the issue. The issue is your life. Does it testify to the grace of God changing you? And I would say that if you've answered no to these questions. Run to Christ. Look at Christ. Fall on Christ. Hold on to him and say It's you, Christ, Jesus. I trust you to cleanse me, to forgive me, change me. Focus on him and call on him. Let's close our service. Let's stand together and pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would undeceive every clouded heart in this room that thinks they're a Christian, but they are not. Oh, Spirit of God, work in our midst. Be pleased to undeceive and, and work your grace in hearts. Oh, Lord, we pray. And Father, we also pray and ask that we would be people that reflect your heart. Oh, God, I've been challenged in my own life. Your heart for the widow Is my heart for the widow like that? Lord, I confess it has not been. Change me. Change us. Make us people that reflect your own heart as we relate to each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless.